Please be seated. Amen. Woo! I love it. Man, you guys sound so good. I'm telling you, y'all need to rotate and just sit right up here and just kind of do this so you can hear yourselves. It sounds so good. <laughs> Man, I am so excited to be here to see you all and to just encourage you as best I can. I'm just, I'm just truly so thankful for um, all that you do and serve and, and the means in which you do that. Um, it's, just, it's just so much fun <laughs> to see. Uh, so all of you that have helped with the pantry and, and all the shopping carts that get filled up for, for resupplying that, all the things that happen, the uh, ministry that takes place, the visits that you all do, um, the prayers that you offer, um, it's just a remarkable thing. And it's just so encouraging to see. And so I'm so excited uh, to be a part of that um, and uh, just to be a part of this body in which this is taking place and all of those means in which we serve and volunteer and give and offer. And so, um, yeah, so there we go. <laughs> so there's many ways in which you can do that. So thank you for, for doing those things and just uh, uh, being a blessing to so many people uh, here in this community. And again, it doesn't all have to be, I'm so far off my script right now, it doesn't matter. Um, it's so encouraging to know that all of these things are happening. Um, even the fact that all the chairs got messed up for some of you because of Christmas and all that. And when you walk in here, you're like, where do I go? I don't know where to sit. <laughs> that just cracks me up. I love that. And all the little things. Just so excited that you're here. Um, we are in the book of Mark, chapter 7, is where we are. Um, last week and this week is a prelude, really, to Mark uh, 7, to kind of lay some foundational work. Um, last week was this idea that uh, the key to the chapter that we're looking at is Mark, chapter 7, verse 8. And Jesus says, hey, um, you all are, he's talking to the Pharisees, you're more concerned about the traditions that you have rather than God's word. And what that leads to is this divergence in life and family and all those places and what you're now seeing in culture. What you're living in this very moment is that. And so we wanted to, to lay some of that foundation. So we looked uh, at some of that. That comes, if, uh, just if you have your Bible, go to Psalms 119. So Matt, or Mark 7 is our launching point. And so... Where that comes from, the commandments of God, Psalms 119.42 says this, Your righteousness is right forever, and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live with my whole heart. I cry, answer me, O Lord, and I will keep your statutes. This is the divergence in our culture as Christian people, what we're called to and how we live this out. And so this morning, we want to just get into that. It's this idea of following Christ and the commandments of God and believing in the one that he has sent, Jesus Christ. Listen, it is discriminatory toward the traditions of men and why you're feeling the, the tension in culture right now. This, what Christ is asking us to do in this, and, and what he's getting at in, in Mark as we get there, is the true nonconformist position. As a Christian, you are nonconforming to the culture or to the traditions of men that would subvert God's authority. It is true self-disobedience. That's the heart of being a disciple. Whoever wants to be my disciple, Jesus said, must deny himself and take up his cross and follow 
mean. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. That's Matthew 16. You and I as Christian people are bringing ourselves in line with another vision of life. And by definition, you can use the word discriminatory, counterculture, non whatever you decide to use. But either way, Christianity and your faith will be unique. It will be weird, Paul. That's not the Greek word, but that's the translation of that. You're an odd duck to live this out because the world's not like that. You bring yourself in line with another. You die to self, your sin, your desires to follow someone else. Their desires, their way of doing life. You conform your life to another, and the other is the fountain of life, Jesus Christ. That is the message of life, and that is the result of what we talked about last week in the gospel, what that looks like. That's the result. Our lives being conformed. But the, maybe a better question is, okay, so what? <laughs> I like that question. <laughs> My grandkids, sadly, have now caught on to me. They like that question, too. <laughs> well, in other words, what is it going to do for you? What should be showing up in your life? And I just want to look at one piece today. The more you mature in Christ, the more you grow in Christ, day by day, our sanctification that God is working out, the, one, of the, one of the pieces of that, one of the things that should show up in your life so vibrantly is this. Hope. Hope. In the midst of the battle we are in, this fight, if you will, for living out the commandments of God in our lives, understanding that God is purifying. We have to understand in history what God is doing for you and I as a Christian, as a church, that he is purifying his bride in this moment like he always has from the moment he ascended into heaven. We can see Ephesians 5 for that. Then as Christians... Knowing that, knowing the, the, the tension that you find yourself in in this cultural moment, you shouldn't be surprised at the testing of your faith that something odd or strange is happening to you. And that's 1 Peter 4. And here's, here's the good news, if you will. Here's the deal. Finally, God is not mocked, ever. And in this current cultural I'll just, I don't know, clown world, whatever we're in. It's only for a season. It's only for a moment. It, it, it won't stand. It can't stand. Because God is who he is. And there is a reality to life that he has established. And when you pursue the traditions of men, oh, they may last for a while, and everybody will get all caught up in it, but it never lasts. He is bringing all authority, all earthly realms to the throne of God and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. The beauty in that moment, in this moment that we are living in, the beauty of being made pure, as uncomfortable as it may be, in the momentary trials that we face in this life, in this cultural moment, we can have and should have, as believers, hope. The results of the gospel in the life of a believer now set free from the pursuits of the traditions of men to freely pursue the commandments of God out of love for what he's done. This courageous hope that God has given you through Jesus Christ 
should overflow your life and mine. It should be pressed down, shaking, spilling over on everybody you meet. There should be, you know, I mean, picture this bucket of water. I mean, it just can't hold anymore. That should be your life in Christ. Hope is just going everywhere. To the person you're sitting next to, it's just like splashing all over them. And the person you're going to work with tomorrow, and it's just sprinkling out. It just can't help but exude out of your life because of what God has done. Hope is how Paul and Silas can sing in prison. After loving their neighbor, how'd they do that? You can go to Acts chapter 16 and read it. By opposing the exploitations of women. And then preaching to the pluralistic, godless culture that we are also in, that we're all in. And calling them to repent. And that's why they're in prison. But they can sing because they have this hope. They'll endure the suffering because they know the suffering that Christ endured for them. For you, for me. We can do the same. Hope is the early church fathers in the first century, when threatened being burned at the stake, could face the fire that burns for an hour and then retort to those accusers, but woe to you who is the fire will burn for all of eternity. To have the hope and the courage that comes with it. So as we live faith given to us by God in Christ through his word in the power of the Holy Spirit, being buried with him in baptism, our lives should be seen by all where you live, work, and play, the hope that is in you. This inexpressible hope that is, it pours out of your life. However, many struggle with the lack of hope. Maybe you're here today and you struggle. Some even to the point of I'll say mental illness. You get bound up in the battle for the mind to find peace and rest and joy. And it just seems so elusive. It's just always out of reach. Just out of reach. Over and over and over again, Jesus is, all through his ministry, says to those who fear or who have no hope, be of good courage. Don't fear. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. I am with you. I will never leave you. Don't worry about tomorrow. I have overcome the world. And again, what's the question? Okay, yeah, so what? <laughs> Good for you, right? Do you ever get caught in, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I believe, okay, blah, 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 right? I, I do. Okay, so that should be a result in my life that shows up. What shows up? Therefore, I don't have to worry about tomorrow. I can live boldly with courage, with confidence, to live in the hope that God has given me. That I can have. I am believing in what God has said, what he has actually done physically in history to restore a people to himself. That is my hope, the assurance, the salvation that I have. Therefore, I can live in hope. Romans 15, 12 says this the root of jesse will spring up one who will arise to rule over the nations in him the gentiles will hope you have to remember there that was so foreign back then 
that was a foreign concept. There was, it was just, it's all top down. And it's all just Caesar and the rulers or your tribe or whatever. And it is all top down. And Jesus flips this around. I will rule over the nations, but you can have hope. There was no hope for people in that sense. And he continues, Paul does, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow. There it is. There's the the sprinkling, the splashing of your life in hope. All by the power of the Holy Spirit who resides in you. Man, that is a prayer that needs praying today, don't you think? A hope that overflows our lives. That everyone where you live, work, and play just looks at you and goes, hmm. <laughs> and maybe is afraid to ask, what is that? I don't know, but whatever it is, I, I want to know what that is. I want to have that in my life. They're going through the same things. They're, they're, we're all in the same boat in some sense of what's going on in the world. We're all there. But why are you so happy? Don't you just love those people? Uh, no. <laughs> I married one of those peoples. <laughs> if you don't want to be happy, don't go in the bubble with her. Because she has this happy bubble. And if you're not going to be there, don't go there. Stay away. <laughs> I'm typically... Not a morning person, although the older I've gotten, the more I wake up earlier and earlier for some reason. But she has always been just, my son's the same way. My daughter and I, yeah, we're, we're, it's funny how all that works, right, in your own family. I mean, I would wake up, my parents, you know, you get up, you had to get ready for school. So I would get up, and my getting up was getting up out of bed, going downstairs and laying on the couch. <laughs> I'm up. <laughs> I made it. I'm not a morning person. God wants to fill us with this hope. So this morning I'd like to take a look at hope that comes from following the commandments of God, of believing in Jesus Christ as we begin this new year. The understanding of that gift of hope seems to go lacking. So let's define hope. I think it would help us um, to understand this joyful, wonderful, spiritual privilege that we've been given by God, this gift of hope. See, the very word hope, when I, at least when I think of that, when you process that, um, it's like turning on a light in a dark room. If um, I've gone caving and whatnot, um, uh, whitewater rafting, and some of those excursions you, uh, in Pennsylvania, you can go in the caves. Maybe you've done mammoth caves, I don't know. But when they shut the lights off, man, is, I mean, that is the darkest dark I've ever been in, <laughs> if you've ever done that. I've done it out in, in Missouri uh, to help with the ministry where you could do the same thing. We'd help uh, with the homes, and we were doing some deconstruction things, and, and we went, some, went to caving, and there's this thing called Fat Man Squeeze. <laughs> you go in this cave, there's only two ways to get out. Climb back out, or go through Fat Man Squeeze. And it is this carved-out tunnel, natural tunnel, where, I don't know, it lo- doesn't look that long. <laughs> it looks like you could just reach your hand. Oh, I'm out. But once you get in that thing, it is this, it's like the water or something just carved all the lines. It's this beautiful circle. But it is tapered. And it's fine when you start. But by the time you get, I had to literally put my hands out in front of me and push my toes and feet to get out. Because it's, man, it was freaky. <laughs> and it's dark. It is so dark. And all you can see is this little 
prick of light because, and that's the only thing that's keeping you going because you can't really turn around. <laughs> that's hope. Hope is this light that just breaks the darkness. It's like introducing life into a hopeless situation. It just brightens everything. It produces joy. Without hope, life is bleak. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, If this life only you have hope, you are of all men most miserable. Look, at if this is all the hope you have, whatever has happened up to this very moment of your life, at this very second while you're here, this is the best you ever got. Whatever is happening, that's the best that is where you look back and go, okay, my life up to this very moment in time. Whatever that has been, has one of those moments you're going to pick out and go, that's it, that was it. Well, is it all downhill from now? <laughs> is that, was that it? Did I peak too early? <laughs> what hope do you have? You are most miserable if this is all. The severest misery is when your hope is only in what this life has to offer in the traditions of men. When one pursues those. If you don't have anything of hope to hope for beyond this life, Paul says that is just miserable. Because this life is just but a vapor. It vanishes away ever so quickly. Life is very, very short and full of trouble. It's just, if that's all you have, you will look for anything and everything to dull your mind, dull whatever, and we run to those things in our life because we understand the misery or the guilt. Hebrews 6 says this, hope that is, stead is a steadfast anchor for the soul. Real hope is this anchor in your life. Death immediately brings that realization, the fact that any hope outside of God was a false hope. Job 8 says this, the hypocrite will hope, will, his hope will perish. He goes on to say, for what is the hope of the hypocrite when God takes away his soul? What happens then? There is no light. There is nothing left. It is like being in that room, that, that cave with, with no prospect of anything but darkness. Satan works hard to create the sin of doubt, to steal our hope. Not letting you forget past sins or the criticism of a failure. The fear that you may be feeling, shame, embarrassment that keeps you from growing in Christ-likeness maybe. He doesn't want you to be free and experience this hope. He wants to keep you there. And he certainly doesn't want the light of hope shining out from your life to spill on other people. But God does. <laughs> but God does. That's good news. Who cares what Satan wants? I, I'll stop there because I almost said something inappropriate. <laughs> but seriously, so what? God does. And he has overcome all things. God is still God and he is pouring out his hope in the gospel of your life, and he never will stop until the day he returns, until your body is glorified. 
When hope is no longer needed in your life. How is that? The psalmist says over and over again, I have hope in your word. I hope in your word. I hope in your word. That's where you and I go to let his eternal word saturate your mind. See, hope defends us against Satan, and that's Ephesians chapter 6. How is God wanting the light of hope in your life? I just want to give you six uh, principles this morning. Here's the first one. Here's what you need to remember. Six principles to remember so you can have this hope so no matter what is happening in your life, light is going to be there, and it spills over everybody that you come in contact with. Here's the first one. Remember the cross. Go back to verse 3 of Romans. It says this, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproach of those who reproached you fell on me. Where did that happen? It happened at the cross. That's what he did for you. If you are a believer, you recognize this key dynamic that you're the one that should be hanging there, not him. You get that. And you've come to a place of belief and penitent faith to say, that should have been me. But thank God for Jesus Christ and the cross. Listen, the cross has already said about me the worst possible thing it can. That I am so wretched that someone had to die for me. That's what the cross says. We talked about this a few months ago. Jesus has done the hardest thing to deal with the worst thing in your life, remember? He has done the hardest thing for you. Listen, pretend for a minute, if, if you don't mind. It's January 2009. Oh, the glory days. <laughs> Remember that? You're on vacation because you love to travel. You're going to see all those things on your bucket list that you enjoy. By chance, you are currently in New York LaGuardia Airport as a major hub to get to your next destination stop. And you have time before your flight because, I don't know, delays if you're taking Southwest or whatever, all those things that happen in an airport. <laughs> Sorry. And you are hungry, so you get in line to get something to eat. And while you're waiting and waiting and waiting, and just before you get to the counter, some guy cuts in in front of you. He's pushy, he's bombastic, he's in a hurry, and he gives you some completely lame, ridiculous, contrived excuse for his rude behavior, but says thank you as he turns to the, the attendant and gives him his order. You're livid because you've been waiting. And you're not so kind in your thoughts, but before you can regroup and actually say something, you hear, hey, can I take your order? There's people waiting for you behind you. <laughs> you quickly regain your composure, place your order, grab your meal. You are finally now boarded safely on the plane. You settle into your seat, do the overhead bin, get all those things, and you are just waiting for the plane to take off. And all the other passengers come aboard, and lo and behold, who do you see? The same guy who cut in front of you. And he is just across the aisle and one row up. He doesn't even seem to care. You briefly make eye contact, but he doesn't even remember you. And that was just barely a half hour ago. He's already moved on to the next thing in his life. 
and you're sitting there boiling on flight 1549. And it lifts off from New York, LaGuardia. And when that 320 Airbus runs into those flock of birds, losing all engine power, and you now hear the pilot's voice coming over the comm, letting you and all the 154 passengers know on board, prepare for an emergency landing in the Hudson River. When you hit the water, you come to a stop, and you see everyone and everything still mostly intact, when you are out on the wing because the plane is still floating in the Hudson River temporarily, cold water splashing up on you, soaking you to the bone, when the rescue boats finally come and pick you up, and you finally are taking back on land, and you're sitting on this chair or, or the reception area, you're, you're clothed in a blanket, you're sipping coffee because you're shaking so very much. Let me ask you something. Do you even give a rip about the guy cutting in front of you at that point? Just so he could get his food a few minutes faster than yours? You and that wine cutter guy have been saved, have been rescued. See, the cross is with the cross always in view in your mind. The, that is the fountain of hope that you can have. God is freeing you to be filled up in hope because of the cross. All those things just mysteriously disappear. As ornery, as irritated, and as justified because this guy's cutting and cheating and doing all these things. But in that moment, that is so far removed from your mind, isn't it? Because of what just took place to save you. Remember the cross. Here's number two. To have hope. Remember you are loved. You are loved. 1 John 4.10 says this. In this is love. Not that we have loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. These are very closely tied together. Do you really understand in view of the cross how much you are loved? Do you truly ponder that thought? Do we really let the reality of the cross rest on our hearts and minds in humility, knowing God is the one who acted for you and for me. It's all one way. It's something that he is demonstrating. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. He wasn't even on our radar. We were still cutting in front of people. Right? See, the gospel of hope is knowing that you are loved by God because the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's this first component of being filled up in hope. It's the first means in which to stop all those distractions and all the, the, the circumstances of life from emptying your hope bucket, if you will, so it just leaks out. Proverbs 10, 28. The hope of the righteous brings joy. There's a result. 
the result of the gospel, the, the result that we should be seeing in our life when hope is just spilling and splashing is joy. But the expectation of the wicked will perish. See, it doesn't last. If you're all bent up and what's going on, it's not going to last. It doesn't mean we don't do anything. We'll get to that later. But it doesn't last. The hope of the wicked doesn't last. If there is no cross, then all your hope is in this world. It is a false religious system. It is money. It is things and stuff. Whatever this world has to offer, it is a false system. It is fake. It is fraudulent. It will not last. Job 31. If I have made gold my hope or said to find gold, you are my confidence, then I have denied the God above. I am following the traditions. That's what's happening. This is how the enemy draws hope away from you and from me. To not put our confidence in the cross and the commandments of God to love him into the traditions of men. Ephesians 2 describes the lives of the lost. Those who have yet to recognize God's love for them. They have no hope being without God in the world, Paul says. Remember that you are loved. Here's the third one. Remember you have a purpose. Because what Christ has done on the cross, because the fact that he loves you, that you are loved, you have purpose. Our purpose is to do a life that honors God. That's what Jesus is getting at in Mark 7. You void out the commandments of God. That's the negative way of saying to pursue something else. We are to pursue a life that honors God. A life of self-disobedience to bring your life in line with God's vision, not yours. To take up your cross and follow me. To die to self. All those things. To die to those desires. Conforming your life to another. That is Christian sanctification. It's, and Paul uses his inference of being a child in Christ. We all start out as babies. You, I don't expect my 36-year-old son to act like a 2-year-old. Right? Not cool. Oh, it's cute maybe when they're there, but not now it's not cute. Nobody wants that. And we understand that. There is this conforming to a life, not your own. And the world needs to see that hope in us. It's making the connections in life that sheet that I had out, that's making those connections. Here's what's unique about me, not because I'm anything special, but because my life is now conforming to the life of Christ. And here's how it is, where I live, work, and play. Here are the, the daily issues, and I pursue the knowledge and love of God through his word to know, okay, what should I say or do think about these issues? How is my life conforming to those? Those are the connections to bring every area of a life in line with God's. Just like all the ceremonial laws and commands that God gave Israel. See, here's the connection Old Testament wise. God set this up so they would be unique. There is no way for Israel as a nation to blend in whatsoever. When God calls them out of Egypt, lays all the ceremonial laws out, there is no way for them to mix and match with anything else going on. So you get all the food laws and all the ceremonial things, all those things that are unique to a Jewish culture. There was no way for them to do that. That was a shadow of what Christ is now doing with the Holy Spirit living in you. 
That's why we don't follow those anymore. And when someone says, hey, well, you can't eat this, or how can you pick and choose? They have this lack of understanding. If you ever get in a gospel conversation like that, you should know right away, they don't make the distinctions in God's law. They don't understand what's going on. It doesn't void God's Ten Commandments, but it certainly voids the ceremonial law. How many, I mean, how many offerings have been made at the temple in the nation of Israel at this point? Zero. That'd start a big fight. <laughs> but nothing has happened since 70, 80 into this very moment. All those things have disappeared. All those ceremonial laws. But nonetheless, in the New Testament, on this side of the cross, you and I are meant to be unique in that way. We have a purpose so that all the other nations would see. That was the purpose for Israel. I will be your God and you will be my people. And that, by definition, is unique to everything else that's going around in the world. And now that very same God no longer resides in temples, no longer resides there, his glory, all those things, not that he could, but that was the recognition of that. He now resides in you, in me. Our purposes don't save or, or those doing those good things. Those, aren't the, those things don't save you. They are a result of the hope that is in you. It's not to make us better to follow some set of guidelines or rules. You go, oh, you're, the, you're one of the good ones. Nope. The reason I'm here, the reason I understand why I'm here is the weight of what Christ did at the cross. I am no good. I understand that. I have missed the mark. Every time. That's why I'm here. Not because I think I'm good or better than anybody else. The cross and being loved by God has done that for me, for you. So we are loved. Each one of you matters. And you can live like a child of God that he has called you to live in because you are already in his kingdom. Your work, your marriage, the raising of your children, your finances, your free time, how you serve and give, war, peace, all of life for all of Christ. Here's the fourth one. Remember that you belong. You belong. And not just belong, but you belong in the greatest membership the world has ever seen, and that's the church. It's the only thing Christ is coming back for. Romans 12 again, verse 4, For as in one body we have many members, and many members do not all have the same function. Isn't that a good thing? <laughs> I love that. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Notice when Paul tries to describe that, there is, you know, there's no I in team, right? <laughs> Sorry, that just popped in there. That was bad. But that's the point. You are belonging for the person you're sitting next to. Peter uses the same analogy as a foundation. You're living stones. But who's the one placing the foundation? Hey, Jesus, um, I'd like you to take me because I don't really like the stones around me, so I'm going to go over here. <laughs> uh, yeah, not your option. You humbly submit to where he has put you in the foundation and the people where you live, work, and play and all those surroundings. So hope can be spilling out and zoot out from you. To be an encouragement to one another. He's talking about church life. To serve, to give, to call, and to, to be the body of Christ. 
And so there's those analogies in, the, in Scripture. Paul uses the physical body. I mean, just think if your hand could actually talk. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to do anything today. And it's just kind of flopping around. <laughs> not only would you look really silly, but it's not helpful. It's not helpful whatsoever. You belong. Without you, we are lesser of a body. Far lesser of a body. You belong to Christ. And some of you may think, well, of course, silly. But you, and, and we have this tendency to stop there. Well, of course I belong to Christ. I'm a Christian. Yep, it's just me and Jesus. Well, it's not just you and Jesus. It's you and everybody in the body of Christ. One of the beautiful things I've liked about traveling and going to other countries um, for mission trips and that kind of thing is because I get to see this. It's just so profound to me when I go places where I cannot speak the language. Ukraine was probably the most uh, pronounced of that because the letters are back. I mean, everything is just weird. <laughs> but when you worship together, I didn't understand a word of it. All I could understand was the sound of the music. Oh, I know that song. I can sing that one. And they'd have an interpreter or whatever. But it's, it's watching what's taking place and looking at the hearts and people of what they're doing, how they're serving throughout the course of the week for each other because they belong. You have to understand that Christ's church is so much grander and bigger than this little section that we live in in this area called Michigan and North Branch. It is universal. You belong to that. According to Ephesians 1, he is the head. That means you and I aren't as much as we want to be. Look at you guys. <laughs> uh-huh. We understand that. Therefore, you have a fit to this universe. You have a fit somewhere to belong, to be used by, to be a glorification to what God is doing to enhance what's happening in his kingdom. And don't confuse that with, oh, well, Dale's gone on mission trips. He's done all these things. Yeah, that's not, it's, again, all the, the, the smaller things. Can we be hopeful and joy-filled when we're changing a diaper when my son is two and he's up all night and I've been up, not really, that was her. But, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right? Can you see the worship in doing those things for your family and the work that you do supplying those needs do you see it there or have you compartmentalized and think worship and being belonging to christ is this that's it that is not it you belong to christ because he is the head we are his body we come under his authority and here it is again this idea of fulfilling the commandments of not making void the commandments of god it's his authority is his leadership we look like that sound like that act like that to follow his commandments. Hope defeats the idea that you don't fit in, that you don't belong. You belong here. Every one of you. Oh, but you don't know my history, my past. Yeah, look at, if that's what you're thinking in that moment, that, oh, I don't know if I could fit in, I don't know this whole church thing, I don't know, then you have to go back and remember the very first one and remember the cross. Because somehow that, that's got, you can't disconnect that. That is the only means in which we can belong. That's it.
Romans 12 again, having, he goes on, having the gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. You are obliged, the gift that you have, whether you recognize it or not, you have one, at least one, whether you get that or not, it is not for you. It is for everybody else in the body, right? It is to be a benefit and a help and encouragement to someone else, to the rest of the body. That's the idea. If service, Paul goes on, then serve. One who teaches in teaching, one who exhorts, exhorts. One who contributes, do it, gener- do it generously. The one who leads, do it with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, do it with cheerfulness. Whatever your gift is, you have one to be used in the body. So allow hope, in other words, to overflow for you to be effective, for you to have this exuberant joy as you serve, to remember the cross, remember your love. You have a purpose and you belong. Here's number five. You have a choice. You have a choice now to never give in, to never give up, to never quit. Life without hope, without seeing how God has loved you, given you purpose, knowing that you belong to him, those are the things Satan wants to darken your soul. What's lurking in the shadows is the thought, I just want to give up. It's been so hard. It's been so difficult in my life. I'm not sure I can stand under the trials of what I'm facing in this life. It's hurtful. I physically hurt, right? Have you been there? You have a choice. 2 Corinthians 4. We have this treasure, the hope, the assurance, the salvation, in jars of clay, your physical body, to show, this is what you're doing, you have a choice, to show the surpassing power of God that belongs to God, not to us. God is the source for you to overcome. God is the source for you to fight through. God is giving you this empowerment through the Holy Spirit and through the gifts of someone here to come alongside you, just to sit with you, to walk through something with you, to not try to, to, to oversimplify it or not to have all these grandiose answers. I don't know the answers all the time. And sometimes it's just best just to sit in silence and be with. Uncomfortable, isn't it? A little. Second Timothy. This is how Paul is ending his ministry. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul's admonishment to us today is what he lived out in some of the most human, oppressive circumstances in life that he had to go through for the gospel so that God's power of hope would be manifest in him shipwrecks, the prison, the whole idea of, hey, I've learned to be content with, with a lot and with nothing. I've learned to do that. To see that manifest in the life of Christian people. That begins each day that the Lord gives us. This is the day that he has given. This is the only day I have. This one. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Oh, well, there's plans. Yep. And if they come, praise the Lord. But this is the one I've been given today and been promised. This is the one I can fight back and decide and choose to follow the commandments of God or to follow the traditions of men. 
to truly be alive to God and flourish, to be in willful disobedience to self and conform my life to his, to feel the freedom, the life that God and hope gives to each one of us, to be willing to choose to submit to the cross daily like he did, in his grace and has given each believer the power of his spirit to overcome, then it seems to me the choice is clear. Doesn't mean it's easy, but it is clear. If God is for us, who can be against us? Here's the last one. You are needed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. These are closely tied together. Hope says you are needed. You are needed. Even though we have been made new, we have a righteous life in Christ. We are a new creation. We're still trapped in this, this physical earthly shell. We are yet to be glorified and experience all the goodness God has. And in those moments of trial, in those moments of affliction, God is going to use you to comfort those around you. Maybe you've gone through something and someone is brand new to that, that you have something that you can give to them, to come alongside them, to share it with them, to help them grow in Christ. To offer the work of grace to them that God has given you to be transformed into his likeness. You are needed to share your life with another. There is no such thing as Jesus and me. To give comfort, hope to those who are struggling with the sin of doubt, maybe. The doubt that says God doesn't love you. The doubt that says no one does. Not even you. The doubt that says you don't matter and have no purpose. The doubt that creeps in and says, you really don't fit in. No one really understands you. You don't really belong. To give up and say there really is no choice. There is no good choice. The doubt that says you're not only useless, not needed, but worthless. All lies. Listen, beloved, every Christian who has ever lived experienced doubt. And please understand this. Doubt is not an indicator that you're saved or not. It is not an indicator of that. Chances are it's an indicated, indicated that you are because you're having those things. Right? But it is a sin, and like all other sins in life of a believer, it's forgivable. And the scripture and the work of the Holy Spirit and understanding that we can overcome it. Satan desperately wants to keep you without hope and in doubt. The crushing blows, which is why Paul says in Ephesians, put on the full armor of God. Where is he going to go? Where is hope in that, in that picture of armor? Right here. The helmet of salvation. Where do all these thoughts and processes of mind that direct your life? They start here. What are you believing here? 
Are you believing what God says about you here? Or are you believing what the world says? Are you believing the commandments of God here or the traditions of men here? And that so dictates and directs your life and where it goes, how much hope or lack of hope there is. That's where the battle is waged. You go back to the hope of salvation, which Scripture gives you by His grace, the guaranteed resurrection of Christ. And conformed by the wonderful witness of the Holy Spirit that is in you, that is His gift to you, who continues to affirm you are a child of God, even through all of the hard parts of life. Even when they come to the end of life, listen, until Jesus comes back, this is where we are in life. Until the dead rise, this is where we are. So not until that moment when Christ returns, we will not understand completely or realize the fullness of our hope. Which is why when he comes, you realize it. Which is why Paul says faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is what? Love, because that doesn't pair. The, the rest, when I don't need faith, then I don't need hope because I'm there. I'm glorified, right? What a glorious day. We are looking for that blessed hope, and that is the key. You're looking for hope, the appearing of the glory of God and greatness in the Savior Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? Isn't that good news to you? Maybe. <laughs> Our hope realizes its fullness in the appearing of Christ and the one who gave himself for us at the cross. The one who redeemed us from every lawless deed in your life and mine. The past ones and the ones I don't even know about and haven't contacted yet in my life and my future for however long that is. All been paid for. Who else can offer you that? He is drawing a people to himself for his own possession, that is our hope. That is what's amazing in the reality of every Christian heart so that hope overflows. May I suggest today, let hope arise in your life. Father, thank you for your gift of hope and the assurance that comes with it the knowledge that you've given us, the goodness and greatness and mercy of Jesus Christ in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.